0: And welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name's Brent. I'm here today with Chris. Hello. And TJ. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the things we've been watching, and then we're going to follow it up with some news and finish up by telling you what to go see this weekend. It's going to be a real tough one this weekend. <laughs> so we'll, we'll figure out
1: all your options. One thing real quick, though. Uh-oh. It's time for TJ's tidbit. <laughs> what you got? Uh, getting away from movies this week, I get a little video game tidbit. I don't want to. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, have y'all heard of Pen and Teller's Smoke and Mirrors"? Are you talking about Desert Bus? Desert Bus. Chris knows Desert Bus. Talk have about you, Desert Bus. Have you heard
0: this? I don't know what. Uh, okay, these words. So there. let me
1: set this for you first. Pen and Teller made a video game. For a Sega CD in the mid-90s. Uh, and it was essentially like gimmick games, right? Like, we'll guess your birth date or your sign or whatever. And the way you do it is you, like, use a secret code on the controller to, like, plug in your friend's birthday. Oh. So the gorilla on the screen guesses the birthday correct. Or whatever. Okay. There's one where, like, put this coin in one hand... And the TV will know which one. And then you've got, like, a code you, like, put in the thing. Like, BBBABBB is right or whatever. Yeah. Most of them are that. But the what I'm talking about is Desert Bus. Uh, Desert Bus was straight up a Penn & Teller, like, revolt on violence due to video games. And they wanted us to show that video games don't have to be violent. They could be this. Desert Bus is a real-time driver bus from Tucson, Arizona to Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, it's an eight hour drive. You can't pause the game. The screen never changes. The bus slightly always veers right. So you can't leave it alone. Uh, and when you get to Tucson, (laughs) you have three seconds to decide if you want to drive back before the game just quits. And you get one point for getting to Tucson and you get one point for getting back to Las Vegas. Yeah. And that is literally the entire game. (laughs) Is there like a leaderboard?
0: for it or anything like- so a
1: charity did get started which was I think where it caught on to like more mass popularity but uh pretty much people like donate like money per points and it was four dudes who donated the money to like cancer research or yeah. something I should actually look so at it
0: how up many there. uh so like when did desert bus come out 95 oh okay okay
1: <laughs> yeah um I'll, I'll include a screenshot in the notes but this is what it looked like <laughs> nice. just nothing there yeah Um, but yeah, the charity ends up like Penn and Teller fucking love the charity too. Obviously they donate a bunch of money. It's raised over a million dollars for, for cancer research. But yeah, the maximum speed of 45 miles an hour, the feat requires eight hours of continuous play to beat. The bus contains no passengers. There are never any cars on the road. There's literally nothing to do except like tap left every once in a while and hold down, go. (laughs) Um, Chris knew about this. Do you have more to add? <laughs> there was something where they...
2: <clears throat> there was, like, an endurance run where people just tried to continuously keep the bus moving. And I think it was, like, 172 hours before they finally quit. <laughs> where they... they it's like, a group of people, so they, like, continuously... man Just, like, manned it. And yeah. they just, like, swapped out. There's some crazy thing. And there's, like... Pe- <laughs> people talk about it as, like, this fable in video games where... Um, it's just like a, like a movie that you send to the big screen of just somebody's butt for like eight hours. Right. It's like that kind of, you know, breaking games down to their core element. And yeah. is
1: it still a game at that point or right. what is it? <laughs> I love like all the details on this. Cause there's like three, it's like five hours into the trip, a bug splatter's on the windshield. That's exciting. I love TJ's tidbits because they're never relevant to
0: anything, (laughs) but they're just stuff you ran across, right? Is that how you just saw this and found it interesting? Yeah. I like that. Because at first I was like, I get it confused with Breezy sometimes, I was just like, so like, what's happening with Desert Bus? Nothing. No, nothing. Nothing. (laughs) Right. Yes. Just a
2: tidbit. The news about it is TJ found out about it. TJ found out about it. Right. (laughs) This is one of the rare cases where TJ brings something up and he goes, Penn and Teller, and I go, oh yeah, Desert Bus. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, it's, it's ridiculous, and the, you should read the whole like spoken mayor's Wikipedia page. It's uh, pretty fucking fantastic. Yeah, Chris, what you've been watching?
2: So uh, again, with letting Netflix feed my eyeballs, uh, and actually a recommendation for someone I work with, uh, I've watched the whole first season of the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, well, I've watched that.
1: <clears throat> so it's, it reminds me of the Riverdale fandom. Is it connected in any way? Yeah. Uh,
2: I had no idea that Sabrina the Teenage Witch was an original character from the Archie comics. Yeah. I, didn't uh, know. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I know about her. That's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> i and, tell you one other thing. And at some point, they mentioned Riverdale, and I thought it was like, oh, what a good like, jape about this other show. Yeah. Um, that is similarly, like, dark but teen-focused. Uh, but no, it's like the same kind of brain trust behind it. Hmm. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty good. It's not fantastic. It's Kier- Kiernan Shipka, who the only other thing that I think anyone knows that she was in is uh, Sally, uh, the daughter from Mad Men. Hmm. Uh, she's all grown up now because when she started in Mad Men, she was, like, fucking eight years old. And now she's, <clears throat> I think now she's like twenty, and she's filming it, or at least I hope she's over eighteen because there's one point where they show her boob, which is really weird. Is when the thing point. you know her from is being like the little girl in the show, um, whatever, it's hers to do what she wants. Um, but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so it's it's kind of like a like a you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch when it originally ran on ABC was kind of a fun kind of kids watch this show and here's a witch who's going through just teen drama stuff. This is more about the drama and less about the teen stuff. Um, Sabrina, the character is faced with the choice to become as a half breed. Her father was a warlock and her mother was a human, whether to go through like the final rites of the dark baptism and become a full witch and renounce all human connection or to become, uh, Or to renounce, you know, the Dark Lord and be fully human and basically be an amnesiac about anything witch-related. And she says there's a third path and then finds out her dad, also, who is now deceased, like, thought there was a third path. Of course, that's why he married a human woman. So, anyway, it's a fun little popcorn show um, in, in the same tact as Riverdale where it's just like, you know... If this show had commercial breaks, all the cliffhangers would happen right before them. Okay. Um, but it's uh, on Netflix, and I recommend it. It's fun. Uh, it's it's super easy watch. It's more intriguing to me than Riverdale. I don't know why,
1: but it is.
2: Well, do you know like the basic plot of Riverdale? No. Okay. So, so that's what interested me about Riverdale. The thing about Archie repelled me. But when I found out that the plot about Riverdale was that the twins in Archie comics, one of them has killed himself, and then it's all a murder investigation. That was what got me interested in Riverdale, was that, was the murder investigation, wasn't the Archie here. the same way that like The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, what interested me was not like the witch thing, it was like the third path idea, was like kind of like, peeling back one layer of the onion and then the second layer of nostalgia uh, that I think a lot of people watch it for and being like, oh, like, they actually had people who wrote this show who, like, thought about, like, right. putting screenplays together for episodes. Um, the second
0: season just came out, right? second
2: season just came out. It's kind of why I started watching because like I said Netflix just feeds my eyes with TV shows that I don't want to watch. Um, so it's been at the top of the, like, recommended now, and it's been chilling adventures of sabrina and i was like well my gut my buddy at work has been recommending this said it's actually surprisingly good and so i've just watched finished the first season like moments before we came over here so.
0: okay so you're you, are you probably gonna watch the second season too? yeah cool
2: it's like my you know where, where tj you do the thing where it's like a movie i've seen before i'm gonna lay down and watch it i will totally like lay down to go to sleep and watch this show and end up staying up later than i need to mm. And then the next four episodes will autoplay because it's Netflix. And right. I refuse to give in to its bullying tendencies of, are you still watching? Um, and just let it autoplay. Um, so it, it's it's great for that. It's great a when Kelly and I are sitting around and she's like, what should we watch? And we can't decide on anything. It's like, well, I'm putting on Sabrina. <laughs> Nothing you can do about it. Nice. Unless you come up with a better alternative. Um, which there's lots, but not a lot that we haven't seen. So yeah. I've found that I've developed the
0: ability to, while sleeping, detect the silence, and without fully waking up, reach for the remote and press, yes, I'm still watching. (laughs) Let's
2: keep feeding me things while I sleep. It's nice. My new iPad, I fell asleep last night watching it, and I remember waking up and telling it to pause, but then when I woke up this morning to go to work, I looked at it, and it was playing the final episode of the season... And my iPad had one percent left, <laughs> and I was like, "Perfect." Pause. Plug in. I'll get back to that later. Um, Dawn from the British Office is in it. She plays. Oh, the, nice. She plays like the the bubbly favorite aunt uh, of Sabrina.
0: What else have I just watched her in? Damn it! I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: um, and other than that, I don't think there's anyone that's really known in the show. Cool. Other than Kiernan Shipka and the actress who plays Dawn in the British office, which is not very well known. Right. What else you got? I watched something that I just recently found out that Brent watched also. Uh, which is pretty fantastic. Um, not the, the movie itself isn't fantastic. But uh, I watched uh, skycrape. Skycra- Oh, I did not watch *Skyscraper*. I just saw that you had watched. <laughs> Skyscraper. Oh, I thought you said that you were excited because because you had also watched. No, just something. excited just that, somebody excited that one of us did. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. So this is like, all right, what what appendage is he missing? Legs from knee
2: from knee down. Yes. Oh God, he's a, a full on Blade Runner. Okay. Um, so it's weird. I didn't expect it to be as bad as it was, but with still having enough, like, plot and excitement to keep me involved. Um, so, The Rock plays the main character who has just gotten a job as the head of security for this, like, huge, new, innovative, building-in uh it's either Hong Kong or South Korea. Details are irrelevant. Except they don't speak English. And on his first day on the job, um, shit goes sideways, and you know a terrorist group comes in and enacts their plan that they've been trying to fulfill for... Or they've, they've been plotting for years. And it's to get the MacGuffin from the guy who owns the building and is living in the penthouse. Um, and... They, they expect that they could just, like, rob the ultra-secure security tablet that the Rock has from him on the train, but it turns out that the most secure part of this security detail is putting your uh, important piece of information in your coat pocket as opposed to your briefcase. Okay. Pro tips. Um, Life hacking for you here. So, <laughs> so, so, that's really the impetus for the Rock going back to the skyscraper because he and his family have moved in there. And uh, so... They have the wife and the daughter. They have the wife and the two kids. Linda Cardellini? Did I make uh, that up? No, it's not Linda no, Cardellini. She's a real person. Uh, it's... I forget who plays his wife. But it's somebody who's like... Oh, you're... Oh, it's Neve Campbell. Uh, okay. Yeah, Neve Campbell plays the wife. Poor
1: man's Linda Cardellini is <laughs> a <laughs> Linda Sorry. Aw,
0: Nev. Um, That's close to getting her on the podcast, yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's like this has got the the fingerprints all over it of every action movie where you expect what's going to happen. You don't know how it ends. You don't know like the beat by beat. Does he have uh, like blades? Yeah. Does he swing with them ever? He, he's got blades, but he's got shoes on most of the time, which the blades go into and fit into. But they they definitely show that the the prosthesis being like effective like mobility tools. Outside
1: of, like, legs. Is that what saves the day? His legs?
2: Um, I think it's a really important thing where, like, the... As opposed to people who look at something and goes, like, I don't understand why that's possible. Like, the rock in this movie does a lot of hanging from his arms. Uh And, like, climbing, like, jungle gym style. And to me, that's really good kind of narrative world building. Because it makes sense, this dude who looks so fucking buff... Is going to be more able to climb and carry himself like that because he is missing thirty percent of his regular body weight, right. as opposed to the rock as an actual person with his big beefy legs. He's also, obviously, got history like lifting his body up, right? Just his hands. Yeah. So it's that's like a fun, never spoken-about thing that if you like pause and think about, is like kind of neat because um, there's the the iconic shot from the trailers and everything is. He basically climbs a crane that was just finished being utilized to, like, within the skyscraper construction, the titular skyscraper. Um, So it's still kind of there near the site. And so he, like, climbs it with just his arms and climbs across it and, you know, does all that stuff. And it's like, you would think about it, you'd be like, what the fuck? Like, how's this guy not gas? And it's like, oh, well, maybe he's not because... This is a guy who uses upper body for everything and has no lower body weight. Um, but yeah, the the whole you know you expect everything way before it happens. They're like in the first five minutes, they're like giving him the tour of the building. They're like here's our open air garden. The bridges are suspension bridges. They're the they're one of the few indoor suspension bridges. They're like all right, well that shit's breaking. And it's like and here is the penthouse. No one should really have access to here, but I want you to see it because this is my personal living quarters. This is a panic room. In case the door's closed, the only person who has the code to this is me. And if the panic door's ever closed, that means I'm inside so no one should get in. So, okay, well, that guy's going to get locked in there on the rocks. and get locked outside. And then they go to the roof, which they... Not the roof, but, like, the top floor, which they call heaven. They say that it has three-dimensional cameras that point in 360 degrees around the building, which is impossible if it's a building <laughs> on top of something. But... And it can basically, like, project, like... Comic book style, uh, uh, like in Spider-Man Homecoming, the bomber they have that's got the cameras all out that make it completely cloak. Mm. Except this is outside, uh, inside out, so it makes it look like you're not in a room. It makes it look like you're just standing in the heavens, not on clouds, but you're standing on nothing, and there's whatever. And so they do a whole hall of mirrors bit in there later, where it's like all these cameras and all these things that are projected to you. And so, of course, that's where, like, the climax happens, where he's, like, running at the bad guy, and he punches him in the face, but, oh, that was another mirror, and the bad guy sees him and shoots him, and, yep, shot a mirror. So, that part's the part that's kind of frustrating about it. But, it's a... kind of sounds like I thought it would be. It's a B, B B-plus action movie. Right. So... Well, I liked Us,
0: so clearly (laughs) I like movie, like, mirror climax plots,
1: so...
0: Um, (laughs) But, no, it sounds like sounds like Die Hard, but in a building, so. Well.
1: So, instead of in a building? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but in a bigger building. This, time. It, this
2: is more like if it took place in Hackatony Plaza. <laughs> um, but, yeah. S- Hackatomy S- S- okay. Plaza. <laughs> uh, but that's all I really saw. I haven't really played anything new, so. Man. Uh, give, I give it to the field now.
0: I'll go. I've got a uh, cast list. I want to see if you can name the movie. Okay. i giving me some, some folks Let's in this cast. Google real quick. Uh well now the listeners are gonna think you really
2: are. Like I i it's only me now who knows you're not. Hey, will you will you testify, will you sign an affidavit that I just have a pen and a <laughs> notebook? Huh? Uh all right,
0: this movie has Terrence Howard, Viola Davis, Melissa Leo, Maria Bello, I like her, Paul Dano, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Hugh Jackman. What? It's a deep cast. It's a good cast. Yeah, it is a really. Paul good Dano cast. is a, a, a somebody who always catches my eye. And you yeah, know, year, yeah, year, year. two thousand thirteen.
2: Uh, Paul Dano, two thousand thirteen. Terrence Howard and Paul Dano were in a movie together.
1: I like Maria Bello a lot. Like,
2: I'm struggling. Uh, Hugh Jackman was in a movie with them too.
0: Also uh, directed by one of our favorite directors of the past few years. Jeremy funny. Lynn? Denis Villeneuve. So Villeneuve film. Uh, I have. Yeah,
1: pass. Yeah,
0: yeah. I was very unfamiliar with this movie, but I saw that it had been. It was one of the most watched movies on Letterboxd that I had never seen before. Uh, it's called Prisoners. Never heard of it. It is about uh, Hugh Jackman and Maria Bello our uh, married couple. And their neighbors are Terrence Howard and Viola Davis. And at a Thanksgiving dinner where they get together, their two little girls are off playing and they are they suddenly disappear. And it is just about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal is the policeman leading the investigation into it. And Paul Dano's the creep. Paul Dano plays a Paul Dano type in the movie. <laughs> um, How was it? It was... Um. A little bit of a drag of a movie. Like, it's not a real fun movie. It's it's a, a gritty movie that where, in their frustration over the lack of progress on the case, Hugh Jackman's character decides to abduct the person he thinks is responsible okay. and beat the shit out of them until they give them back his daughter. Hmm. And so... It's uncomfortable in that respect. It's some bad decisions being made by different characters, but it is—it's got that classic Denis Villeneuve uh, tension throughout the whole movie. It's a good movie. It's just not a fun movie. Okay, right. Um, it's <laughs> see previous episode Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> right. Uh, also, also notable in this movie is Hugh Jackman's uh, almost aggressive goatee. <laughs> i would say it's like it is like uh so just for mend out it's wazoo like it is it is very it's all i could stare at when he's on screen um but it's a good movie jake gyllenhaal is good uh but it's uh i do recommend it it's Denis Villeneuve
1: has a much deeper repertoire than... <laughs> that teacher just showed me the goatee. It looks real bad. <laughs> I'm going I'm to show note that, too. Give me a note there, Chris, in your notes. Just show note. Goatee. <laughs> Desert Bus and Goatee. Yes. Um,
0: I would do recommend it, but it's... it's. Uh, I don't think I liked it as much as most people do, but it is it is a good movie. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of... Like, I'm getting the feeling that with Denis Villeneuve, it's just... He just... He's not going to make bad movies, right? For the most part, yeah.
2: He's he's going to do tension well.
0: He's going to do aspects of his movie very well. Yeah. So uh, I followed that up with also from 2013, also from Denis Villeneuve, also starring Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> the movie Enemy. Okay. Have you ever do you know anything about Tony uh, Cross Enemy at least? Okay, so Enemy is the story of a uh, kind of mild mannered professor who is, I would say, depressed. He just goes home. He, he's sleeping with this one woman who comes over every now and then, and but he doesn't seem very happy with his life. One day, a coworker recommends this movie to him, recommends mm-hmm. he check out this movie, and he's like, fine, I'll, I'll watch it to give me one thing to talk about with one person at work. Unfortunately, the movie is Law Abiding Citizen, <laughs> starring Gerard Butler and Jamie Foxx. <laughs>
2: There's nothing to talk about.
0: Uh, but he's watching this movie, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's like this quirky little comedy, but he notices the bellhop in the background looks exactly like him. Hmm. So he becomes obsessed with tracking down this actor who looks exactly like him. And it is Jake Gyllenhaal in both roles. And I kind of want to leave it at that. The movie is kind of bonkers in places. Fun. Um. It feels, it feels at times like a cast kind of movie, but maybe not enough. For like ninety-eight percent of the movie, it's not in that <laughs> in that like crazy ass vein. Yeah, yeah. but the two percent that is is just so like what yeah. <laughs> that um, it has a memorable ending. I will say <laughs> it is a it is a thinker of a movie. It is definitely a movie that you turn off. You are like okay. Let's talk about what that was. <laughs> because I don't know what this movie was. Nice. Um, What's it streaming on? It is streaming on Netflix. Okay. Um, Enemy. Enemy It is, I'm intrigued. Whether but- you... I cannot vouch for it as whether you will like it or not. Sure. But it is definitely a movie worth watching just to... Uh, the experience. Just to see what you think about it. Um, and again, it's Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. So. Right. Um.
2: So I do want to bring up, you said that he mentions a background actor. That always takes me back to the podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time, when they were watching Sex and the City 2 for 52 straight weeks. So they start like, noticing these things that you don't think about. And one of the things they notice is some actor who's an extra, who's in the back of a cafe scene. So in Satsy 2, they are talking about going to the Middle East and how they've got this, like call to go there to do a story, whatever, Like right? Something that they do. They do stuff, I guess. Um, <laughs> <coughs> sounds like a great film. And, and so, but there's a, this background extra who, during this cafe scene, you see, because of how they have to put cuts together, you see him, in one shot, come into the restaurant, sit down, and then splice together, take a cup of coffee, take a big gulp, Seconds later, a big gulp. Seconds later, a big gulp. Take his paper, slam it on the table, and walk out. And so it they is, wrote like a whole backstory for him. Didn't yeah, they? yeah. So it is Tim Guy's favorite character in all Sex and the City two. Is this guy they call him the international man of mystery, and they have no idea what he has to do that is so important that he needs his caffeine for that he rushes in, chugs his coffee, leaves without paying, and does whatever. And they've included his mythology into. Paul Bart Mall Cop 2, which they watch every year. Nice. Uh, as the Shadow Man, who is the secret agent who is trying to destroy Paul Bart's life. It's just... <laughs> whenever we think about like, hyper-focusing on a background actor, that's always what I think.
1: It reminds me of Monica Saunders' least favorite thing about movies in general, which is just like... Full plates of food at dinner that people don't fucking touch. Mm-hmm. Just it, makes me angry. Like Somebody made that. Just like... Or they go to a restaurant they order food and then they yell for 20 minutes at each other and they get up and neither one of them is eating. It's just like, why'd you order food? Or or every movie in the past five years where
2: everyone else in the restaurant, no one has their phone in their hand. <laughs> when does that ever fucking happen? Walk into any restaurant that's not like a three-star restaurant and like, even if there is that, that someone's taking a picture of their food and post on fucking Instagram.
1: Like, no it doesn't shit I love. It's not a bad movie thing. It happened no. to a bunch in uh, the... Um, Incredibles. Time travel movie, TV show, Netflix we watched. with uh Twilight No, the uh, one with the, the elephant girl. crew. The umbrella Harry academy. Nilsen. Harry Nilsson. The oh. Russian doll. Russian yes, doll. Russian yes. That was
0: worth it. Yep. We got there. What you got, Brent? I went to the original Suspiria. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, I've we, seen that. We've both seen that. Yeah. Um, so. I can understand people thinking this movie is great. I can understand people thinking this movie is awful. Absolutely. Because it is a healthy dose of both. Yeah. Yeah. Great and awful. Um, Visually incredible. The sound. The sound. The score is one of my favorites in any horror movie. Goblins, man. They're like...
1: I mean... It is the score that they wanted for Jackie. (laughs) Yeah. That guy looks like he could be in the goblins. Yeah. Or be a goblin, I don't know how they refer to themselves. I feel like it's probably weird. Goblins. <laughs> and the performances are so
0: distanced from competent acting, I don't know what how to even describe them. So they they're, guys some
2: dancers, didn't they? Yeah. 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 So it's dancers, and there's also lots of non-native English speakers who are not reading lines, and who are not actually performing their parts as they're talking. So they did a lot of ADR over top of like
1: non-English. Mm. So I don't think this is your first Dario Argento, right? Because I think he directed Bay of Blood, didn't he? No, it's, it's, but it's the guy he worked with
0: on this. It's the guy who like does, the... like, yellow Italian horror. Mario Baba. Yeah, 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 it's Mario right.
2: Baba. They worked together on Suspiria. Yes. So Bava was, was, was this
1: your first Argento, though? Yes. Okay. And Baba was, like, producer on this. Mm. They, I get his, like, lore. I get, especially get why, like, horror cinephiles love him so much. But, man, they're all fucking similar. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you have seen one of these, like, like 60s Italian... It was 1968, yeah. 77. 77. Speria. Sorry. I thought it was much earlier. That's probably
0: more ago. close to, like, Bay of
2: Blood. It's the okay. late 60s. So this is Baba's heyday. <clears throat> but these, like, these Gaia movies, like, once you start, like, kind of diving into it, it's not a deep pool. They are visually and audibly incredible. Mm-hmm. But, but it is a very wide, like, surface area for yep. it that you can tell where, like... You know, like Halloween doesn't get made without these movies. It just doesn't exist as a movie. Without oh, sure. I mean, it's the slasher like genesis. Yeah. This this is credited as the first slasher, right? Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because of how the movie ends. Like all like the weird witchcraft. Yeah, and stuff. It's so like weird. It's so anti slasher right. with what we think about today. Right. That it's not paranormal. Right.
0: Um I thought the last. 15 to 20 minutes of the movie were amazing were fantastic like the the tension of her creeping through that house uh or that whatever it is running her hands along that
2: weirdly ornate like
1: mural in that curved The setting is great the 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 house the mansion where the dance studio is Although she oh, has really. that... she
0: goes into the room with the flowers on the wall. where She has to turn the yeah, is, yeah. Uh, the iris, I think, <laughs> the blue iris, and then she's standing there looking at it. She's standing there looking at it, and then you you hear the flashback. You, she flashes back to the girl at the beginning who warned her. She's like the secret room, ah, with the blue iris. Turn the blue iris! And it plays like it plays that like three times. It's like, the blue iris. Turn the blue iris. Look at the blue iris. And she's standing there like,
2: I should turn the
0: blue iris! It's like in a look video game where
2: you're in the tutorial, and it's like, look up, down, left, and right. You don't do anything, and it just keeps going, look up, down, left, and right.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. She was the character who had put down the controller to go pour a glass of <laughs> yeah. ice water real yeah. quick. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, I do recommend Suspiria to anybody out there. It's I'm interested to see how the new one from uh, Guadagnino, yeah, did yeah, the, the, the remake, and uh, he, uh, I'm interested to see what he does with it. He, yeah. Because yeah. it's not... I'm not,
2: not going to say anything about what I think he did because I haven't seen it yet. But I, I am in the same boat.
0: I understand that it's not a direct remake as much as a reimagining inspired by the original. Yeah. So I'm guessing the colors and the sound are the things that he's going to
2: take inspiration Here, from. Here's, yeah. here's what I think he kept. He kept the plot points, which are the least important part. Yeah, right. To this. Because it is such an audio-visual experience watching the first *Spiria*. That when I heard that the remake was similar,
1: I was just as excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, David Edelstein, I think is who said it. Said it had the scariest scene of 2018. Yeah, I that mean, weird. it it was it was other than ha- if the house
2: that Jack built didn't get released in 2018, this would have been the half the audience left, half the audience gave it a standing ovation movie. Like I. Because from, from everything that I've heard, there's, they take the brutalism of the original and they just, like, crank it to 11. Yeah.
0: I got one last movie I want to mention, and that is a 2017 movie, I finally got around to, that made a lot of top ten lists in 2017. Uh, it's called Good Time. Oh, a, nice. I saw that. Robert Pattinson movie. Yeah. Did you like it? I did. I did, too. Even though
2: it's not a fun movie,
0: because no. it feels like a snowball
2: what, of bad decisions.
0: That's what Chris
1: said. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so I watched it at the beginning of 2018 because I was in the 2017 Death Race with TJ, and I couldn't find it, and I kept hearing, so there was the 2017 Death Race that was Watch Everything, and then there was near the end of that year where it was Watch Oscars uh-huh. for 2018, and then this movie came out in that window where it was like, like I'm not going to watch Good Time because it's not going to be nominated for an Oscar because it's not going to be eligible. But it's on uh, a bunch
0: of top ten lists and whatnot. It was yeah. a highly critically acclaimed movie. And um, that's,
2: that's also the year that the TJ and I watched, um, not, not World War Z, what was the the Jungle movie? Not The Jungle, but uh, oh, Lost, Lost City of Z, oh, yeah. where, where it was like, we had both just recently watched Robert Pattinson do a phenomenal fucking <laughs> job acting in a role that we would never expect him in. Not a lead role. Yeah. yeah, and then I hear that Good Time is this like really great, gritty kind of crime drama, mm-hmm. like half heist movie, half crime drama, and I was like, holy shit, like I definitely want to watch that, but it just didn't make it till the next year.
0: But yeah, I really liked it. I did too. It I thought it was very good. Robert Pattinson is just such a good actor. He's oh, so yeah. good. It's so funny because I think Kristen Stewart is also a great actress. And I <laughs> love that the that Twilight produced two actors who I'll now pretty much sign up for anything they are in.
2: Oh I mean it did more than just the two of them. I mean Emma Roberts career was basically made off twilight and she's made millions of dollars do tj do you know what good times about yes i remember you're talking about the podcast okay yeah i Um, talked about the podcast like a year and a half ago
0: yeah i just remember yeah yeah yeah. well then yeah definitely we'll just uh then reiterate that it's uh i'll back him up then it's a good watch Mm -hmm. nice and i recommend it
1: what's it streaming on? it
0: is on amazon prime okay i think it's amazon prime produced yeah Okay, cool. Again, there are definitely moments in the movie where you're just like, I don't want to even see what happens next. Yeah. Because, like, this is a bad decision. Why are you doing this? At some point, it feels like a Coen Brothers movie where it's like, why is everyone making all the wrong decisions? Right. I'm like, is everybody going to die at the end of this? <laughs> I feel like that's where we're heading. Yeah. But you'll just have to see.
1: TJ, what you been watching? I watched one movie that we've all seen, but I think we all loved. And I really don't want to talk too long about it. But... um I saw a couple of things that just reminded me how brilliant the fucking screenplay was in the Pixar movie Inside Out. Wow. I rewatched watched for the first time as I saw it in its initial release. Um, it's, I think, the best writing Pixar's done. Hmm. The story is bold. Ridiculously good. And especially watching the film again, knowing how it ends, and seeing how good they do to throw you into the, like... Side of, we have to save Joy. <clears throat> joy is what's important. We need to get Joy back in this girl's heart and in her brain so everything will be better. And then realizing that the whole time it's just that she needs to be sad for a few days. Yeah. is fucking just so important and great. Um, yeah. Me and Brian have talked about that a little bit, but it's just so well done when you realize that like sadness is the thing that we need to like take hold of sometimes, especially well, when you're a kid.
0: It's also an important message, too, I feel like in recent years with, you know... uh the way people, there's a problem in this country of people not being able to, you know, talk about depression or anything like that. And right. I, I'm not saying they're the same thing. Sadness right. is not depression. But the feelings associated with both, I think the stigma around both is similar, which is, you don't know, people don't want to admit when they're sad, you know. You also, also like, you ask you know, a sad person, are you okay? And
1: they'll be like, yeah, I'm fine. Especially when you're a kid who's moved to a new city with your parents are doing a good job and they're like, hey, come mm-hmm. on, cheer up for me. Like, right. The kid just needs to be sad. It was just a great like way to tell a little story of a girl that needs to be sad for a few weeks, mm-hmm. and what? then she'll be fun. Who, who are the
2: who? What are the emotions that go down and get the snuffleupagus character out of the pit of despair? It's
1: well, it's just joy and sadness are the only ones that ever leave the brain. Okay, the ones left behind are disgust anger and fear.
0: Is it Richard Kind? Is that who does the voice of the the bingo ball? Yeah, yeah. Bingo guy. So good. He is amazing.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, so are the two, like, Office Parks and Recs. Yeah. Uh, Joy is Amy Poehler and Sadness is, oh no. I can't remember Sadness
0: is uh, the one who plays Phyllis, right? Yeah, it's
1: Phyllis. Yeah. She's in the OA too. Her name is Phyllis. It is Phyllis something. Phyllis Green? Uh, It's Smith. Phil Smith, I think. But I really
2: love just getting like too mired in the like we're doing the gauntlet here. I really love the fact that when they have to rescue Bingo, like the idea that the places that the things you remember go have to be brought back by joy and sadness, both joy for nostalgia and sadness for not having it anymore. Yeah. Even though that's not like an important part of them rescuing him is, like, so deep on a level that, like, I think they got, like, really, really meta in a,
1: like, a, a, the best way possible
2: Yeah, writing well, that
1: script. Also, like, when you're a kid, I, mean, I, I could be wrong on this. When I was a kid, I never felt like I was, like, truly saddened about anything for a long period of time. Right. I would pitch a fit, I'd get upset, like, but even like, my dog died, But I was real sad for, like, a day, and then it was like, well, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but like bringing back sadness into her forefront and letting sadness take over for a little bit, which needed to happen at the same time as pushing away your imaginary friend to be gone forever. Like, goddamn, it's just so fucking clever. Yeah. Um, that like grow up doesn't mean don't be sad. You yeah. Know what I mean, grow up and be sad and then like still do what you need to do and move on, but let yourself be sad. It's such an important message for kids too. I think yeah. I love how the, the
0: emotions are all dependent on each other. Like, like they realize that sadness is important. Yeah. All, and
1: yeah, there's a whole scene where they're all trying to do like, they're all trying to act like joy. Yeah. And they're all failing miserably. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because when you're scared, you can't be joyous when you're disgusted or when you're angry or when <laughs> you're sad. That's Bill Hader's fear, right? Uh, Bill Hader's fear, uh, anger is Lewis amazingly black. Amazingly casted as Louis black. Yeah. I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> also noticed something. This one I didn't remember. I'd only seen the movie once before, right when it came out, but, uh, the Like, Joy is the head of the little girl's brain. Mm-hmm. And who is the head of the mom and the dad are different than Joy. Yeah. So the dad's head is anger. He's, like, the one that's in charge and the mom is disgust. Yeah. Um mm. It's just... They don't ever talk about it, but it's interesting. Who's They're, disgust? Is that Mindy Kaling? Yeah. Okay. They're, the casting of the five of them is just incredible. Also, I think one of the
0: biggest laugh-out-loud moments I've had in, a, in any Pixar movie is when she meets the boy and you can see the emotions in the boy brain when it's just like this flashing red siren girl, girl 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 and they're all just freaking out
1: running everywhere they don't know who's in charge yeah yeah whenever they go into other people's brains it's really funny the dad has a really good moment too where it's like prepare to put the foot down and they're like start pulling levers and shit like, go to your room and they're all satisfied they're like the foot was put down <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think that's the... I don't know that it's my favorite Pixar movie, but I think it's probably the best written and most important Pixar movie. Yeah, there's also...
1: My Laugh Out Loud moment wasn't anything to talk about, though. It was when they go in the cat's brain at the end and all the emotions are just walking across the board that controls all the emotions. (laughs) It's just really, really dumb and funny. Yeah. But, yeah, if if somehow you've made it without watching those movies, uh, any Pixar movie, but especially this one, it was... It was. I was surprised at how much I loved it when I watched it the first time. and It sticks.
2: Well, cool. You yeah. got anything else you watched? I don't, man. So then, should we talk about Survivor?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> we'll hit those streets later. <laughs>
0: Where it sounds crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Reality Roundup. Survivor. So we had a double vote off this week.
2: Yep, this every season. Two two vets.
0: I can't think of two people more appropriate to head out together than the two people who had tunnel vision for each other this entire season, and probably torpedoed their own chances to win by not working with one another. Yeah,
1: and also, both of which could have been saved by an idol they either misplayed or didn't play. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think. Well, David didn't have one at the time.
2: Well, he's talking about the previous week. Yeah, misplayed one.
1: one. Yeah.
0: Although, in their defense. The, after that tribal That council, nightmare
2: tribal, just playing
1: one. Play like, whatever. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking Kelly should have played hers too that then. night. Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, no more David, no more Kelly. Except possibly more David, possibly more
2: Kelly. Not <laughs> yeah. a
1: whole lot to talk about. I think Wardog has kind of taken over a little bit. He is controlling all the votes mm-hmm. uh, since the merge. He's been in charge. It's
2: interesting to me, though, to think if Wardog is the person who was the lessu representative who was pitching plans to Comma X, whatever the comma number is now, where he would take people from Comma aside. Who does he go to now? Now that he doesn't have the shade created by the Wentworth and David Spires, that kept him safe before? Because I really do think that he was kept safe to do his, like, hey, I'm crazy, here are my ideas. Not that he's crazy, but, like, like here's my wild-spun Let's talk about worst possible scenario and let's talk about best possible scenario and everything in between. Now that like the two most likely targets are gone, who does War Dog talk to to create his coalition
1: and who does War Dog hide behind? So here's here's my theory on War Dog real quick. The only thing I saved in our pre-show little meeting outside. Yeah. I think he does a fantastic job of finding the people that think they're on the bottom, telling them... First off, what they don't want to hear, right. which is, you are on the bottom. You're going to go home. And then telling them what they want to hear, which is, but... Here's a way out. i got a plan. Me and you, LeBron, and Julie can all work together, and we can maybe figure out how to take out somebody who's a real threat in this game. So I think his his alliance is always going to be whoever's whoever's on the bottom. Well, he, he can go to the people on the bottom and go, hey, I'll help you out.
2: Well, then my question is broader than who does he go to talk to the representative of the other side. Then it becomes... Who do you think are the now that there's eight, who do you think are the three people on the bottom? And but still I think really relevant to him making it through next episode, who do you think uh, is going to shield him from going home? Who's the who's the
1: bigger target than Wardog next week? Oh, I don't think I think Wardog's the biggest target, absolutely, but I think he can probably convince Ron and Julia again. He's got a chance of convincing Lauren, even though he just kicked out her best friend. Right. Yeah, um, I, I, I think he pulls her aside and goes, if it's the three of us in the final Wentworth wins. Lauren is absolutely gettable right now because she thinks she's 100% alone. Right. Warren just vetted out Kelly, and she lost Kelly, and she lost David. Devins is there, who she vetted out, and Devins doesn't care. Right. So, yeah, Lauren is totally gettable, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So, he's got he's got four, though, He's and that's all he wants. I, I, I mean, he wants five, but... Right. Yeah, I
2: think...
0: He essentially... I, I thought it was a little dangerous getting rid of Kelly because... You could Kelly, have broken
2: down to a 4-4 Lessie versus comma.
0: Right. Um, but I think what he ultimately did was... I think he's realized over the past few votes that Ron is his at this point. And I think Ron is a more submissive
2: uh, partner than Kelly. Ron belongs to whoever shouts at him the most authoritatively. Ever yeah. since... Yeah, ever since the... Ever since he lost his seven. Yeah. So I think, and two, you know,
0: Wardog may not have known this, and he may not have realized it, but we've seen Kelly talk about how she thinks maybe she needs to cut ties with Wardog right. here and there. Yeah. She just didn't find the right time to do it. So to his credit, he cut somebody who was about to cut him. Yeah. Um, I feel like that would have been pretty soon. if Absolutely. He, so he credit to him for making that first move. He is just playing a very loud game. And with eight people left is the worst time to be playing a loud game, I think.
1: Yeah. He's got one speed.
2: This is is the exact time last season or two seasons ago where Dom went, I'm going to take the back seat. And it's like, okay. Everyone heard you say, I'm going to take the back seat, but everyone knew that you didn't. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's up to Wardog to be able to effectuate that plan. And to actually take the back seat. Mm-hmm. But I think that a back seat for Wardog, since he's incapable of winning anything other than tribal council votes, um, I think that he won't be able to ride back there for very long.
0: Yeah. I do think he is clever enough to and I think he could, I think he knows who the other smart folks are out there that he could potentially work with because You know, I think Devon's and Wardog weirdly make for a a logical pairing at this point because they are the top two targets, I think, in the game. So they should try to work together. Yeah, do a Wendell Dom.
2: Right. Um, But They're they're odd bedfellows, which is good because you know Devon's story and you know that he publicly at Tribal Council said he does not want to work with Wardog. But he's, he voted with him in the last two travel councils. The episode we just saw on Wednesday. He voted with him once, I think. He didn't vote against it. He did
0: not. Devin's didn't oh, vote he didn't against vote David.
2: against David. But but he did he did he spread wide or did he take the plan B? He was the one doing the hard sell to Ron. That Ron okay. said, "I don't right. like
0: hard sells." Right. That was so
2: Devin. so then it's it's interesting because. Dom and Wendell had a secret alliance for a while, and then they were very publicly allied at, like, ten left. Mm -hmm. So, I think that Devons and Wardog have a very real, and Ron, actually, the three of them have a very real ability, if they can sell well, to pretend to marshal troops and lose votes, quote-unquote, at tribal councils, and never expose an alliance.
0: I think that would be the smart way for the three of them to play it, which yeah. is be have a secret alliance, leak what needs to be leaked here and there for people who have idols that you, you know, however you really want to steer the vote. And, uh, and yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know how the season's going to shake out. It's hard to project a season where, right now, I feel like all alliances have pretty much crumbled in yeah. this game. Uh, I think maybe the strongest Alliance in the entire game right now is Wardog and Ron, which only <laughs> happened less than a week ago. I mean, Ron and Julie have been together pretty much the whole season it Happened at the end of the episode two weeks ago. Yeah. But Ron and Julie didn't even vote the same way. On right. the Last vote. Julie yeah. vote. Julie did not vote for Kelly. Yeah. Uh, the way Ron did. So there are eight people playing for themselves right now. And that is pretty much it. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah, across for a fun finish. Across the last three tribal councils, I don't think there's any, including the people voted out. I don't think there's any three people who voted together in any tribal council.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's 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 could be a wild finish. Now it could be a wild finish thanks to poor play at times from yeah. Where you end up with
2: Julie, Ron, and Lauren, or some shit at the final three. It can be entertaining without being great, right? For that to happen, for that to be that that three, that would require people to self destruct.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It would it would it would require people to take themselves out of the game. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'm curious when the uh, when
0: the returnee, the last returnee, is going to come back.
2: Yeah, that was the most unclear preseason like news detail we had about it. Because I had heard anywhere between eight left, seven left, six left, and five left. Um, I left so late, man. Wait, yeah. like with five to make six? Yes. So, okay. like, they're going to the challenge for immunity. There's this many people who think they're about to compete, and they bring all the people back to make that to then go to Tribal Council to then get down to the to the number that they were at previously.
1: Uh, okay. Yeah. Come back with seven. Well, seven gets voted out. Let's Step back to two. six, yeah, yeah. like you were at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Okay. We'll uh, see.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll see. But hey, Brent, do you have a sound effect you want to put in right here? What does
0: that mean? It's breezy on them streets.
1: Breezy on the streets. Uh, I got a couple little quick things, real quick, if y'all mind. Sure. I guess uh, the trailer, the second trailer for Child's Play dropped. Anybody watched it yet? No. Uh, it's pretty good. It's uh, this one. You get the Mark Hamill voice, who has now been announced as voicing uh buddy chucky yeah you know, um it looks good it looks it looks fun uh there's a quick scene in the trailer where the kid and his three like buddies all have like hammers and saws and pickaxes and they're like we got to kill them and it's like okay cool. i mean if it's like campy fun yeah, yeah i'm down um so check out that trailer it's pretty good i think I shared it to the group today um, but I know I shared, uh, another trailer, which was a Netflix movie that's coming out starring Allison Williams. Did either one of y'all see that on the Facebook group today? Wow. Well, I was, yeah. yeah. Oh my God, man. It is fucking terrifying. It looks kind of like, uh, like a Dario Argento kind of <laughs> horror fucking movie. Is this um, The Boys? Or is that something else? No, Sorry. it's called, uh, The Perfection. And, uh, the trailer is pretty much this like, Allison Williams and her beautiful friend, this black girl, walking on a dirt road. Her friend is having a freak out. She doesn't know what's wrong with her. And these, like, bugs start crawling under her skin. And then she throws up a bunch of bugs. And also Williams pulls out an axe and decides she knows what's wrong with her. And then it's just, like, a bunch of quick cuts of, like, blood splattering everywhere. Uh, it's going to be a Netflix original movie coming out soon. The Perfection. Wild. Yeah. The trailer is absolute bonkers. I
2: mean, watching Alison Williams in Get Out and Girls, I just figured that she's the type who's just like, oh, something's wrong with you,
1: I'll murder you. Yeah. I mean, she's got a, <laughs> like, polished sharpened hatchet in yeah. this one. Um, also, I want to talk about this movie, which is funny that Brent brought up um, Robert Pattinson. Oh, our Pats. Uh, the Lighthouse is a 2019 movie that I just read about the day. Have you, you read about this? Uh-uh. Uh, starring Willem Dafoe as Old Okay, And Robert Pattinson as Unknown. Okay, There's no more cast. It's a black and white horror film out of A24. They do good stuff. But the director is what's interesting. It's Robert Eggers. It's the guy who did The Witch. Um, oh, man. Yeah. So, like, uh, totally in for this movie. Yeah. It's going to be real
0: unnerving. It's going to be, uh, like, historically accurate in the way they create whatever. Yeah. If it's, mm-hmm. if so it's, it's, it's set in an eight, So it's called The Lighthouse? Yeah. If it's set in an 1870 lighthouse or something... They're going to have to build the lighthouse the way they would have built it in 1870. Yeah, Robert
1: Eggers, uh, I will say famously, but not really, um, went to museums for the witch and tried to get like period-correct clothing to wear in, their, in, his, in his movie. And he, they were just like, well, no. We're he, not going to give you clothing from the 1600s. I believe
0: yeah. also the the like the log cabin was built the way it would have been built back yeah, then. Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He's, he's nuts, but... Yeah, this movie has zero cast except for Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Well, they're not good actors. Yeah. right. Uh, real quick, Netflix releasing a little
0: bit of uh, their numbers, which they like to tout from time to time. Uh, Umbrella Academy had 45 million views
1: this season. Wow. So uh, how does that rank into what the... Um, they released numbers for some other show recently. Well, Triple
0: Frontier... 52 million watches of Triple Frontier. I could totally see
1: that. Yeah. The thing about Netflix that's interesting is you got to remember, like, everybody has Netflix. Yeah. And since everybody has it, there are a ton of people who saw, like, War Movie with Oscar Isaac and Ben Affleck. Like, hell yeah. Highwaymen, 40 million? 40. I still want to watch it. I, I haven't got around to it. And
0: pretty impressive numbers for the documentary Fire had 20 million watches.
1: Uh I can, I can see that.
0: Yeah. Um, of course. No one knows if Netflix is full of shit, because it's just them coming up with their own numbers. Bird Box had ridiculous
1: numbers, too, right? Yes, that was, yes, the, big thing that was the,
0: the crazy thing yeah. last year. Uh, by the way, we mentioned uh, Suspiria earlier, how we were looking forward to watching the new one. It hits Amazon Prime this month. Yeah, or I saw next I month, did
1: see Because uh, Cassandra has been upset that we didn't make it to the theater for that one. So... I think that's about it for news. I'm, I'm
0: scrolling through. I always save like all the articles, the news articles, until we do this.
1: Right. Um,
0: did we talk Disney Plus pricing point yet?
1: Yeah, we did. Okay. Six ninety nine a month. Yeah. Um. Pretty. Pretty good. Pretty right. dope. Yep. 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 All right. Well. Yeah. Some of the screenshots I've seen from the Mandalorian for that look. Pretty good. Mhm. I was kind of surprised.
0: I'll probably watch the Star Wars thing. I yeah. guess, I guess. you like Star
1: Wars?
2: I'm coming around.
1: We should hang out. We should, yeah.
2: Uh,
1: Chris, you got any any breezies?
2: So, I've got one that's quick and kind of a dig. It's something that I'm not going to spend money on. Uh, so, <clears throat> if uh, if you're paying attention to kind of the, it's not a console war yet, but it's kind of before the console war starts, there's the organization of troops and kind of the espionage around it. Um, to bring the metaphor to a painful halt. Um, so this week there's been a lot of details leaked about the PlayStation Five. There's there's a solid chance that what happened was someone came to Wired, someone came, someone from Wired came to Sony and went, "Hey, we found this out. Like, do you want to talk to us and be official about it?" And they went, "Yeah." So there's details about the PS Five. Likewise, there's details about the next two Nintendo Switch iterations, including one that's for. More casual gamers, so the Joy-Cons are attached and it's gonna be more handheld. Like the you know, not like the Nintendo DS where it's like intentionally uh, portable, but where it's it's more portable than the Switch as it is, and then one that's more beefy. Um, so something that's gonna be out either by the time this podcast comes out or within the week is the new Xbox, which they're trying to position themselves as like a digital streaming Platform as well as a console manufacturer. Um, So, the new Xbox console that's going to be available very soon for a price point of 239 euros that's all we know about pricing, it could be different price in USD um, is the Xbox One S all digital version. And my favorite bit about this story that doesn't have a disk drive, it's all Wi Fi, you download games, whatever, it's Mm -hmm. not like their crazy version, it's not the Xbox One X. Is that Xbox One S, all digital, abbreviates to Xbox One SAD. (laughs) (laughs) So someone there blew it. Uh, But the other thing I want to talk about is... uh, Xbox One
1: SAD.
2: (laughs) Uh, I love watching Twitch. You know, whenever I come here and I say I haven't watched anything, that means I've watched, like... 80 hours of speedruns, or have watched right. 100 hours of Twitch TV. Uh, there's a guy who just recently um, reached a goal that he set for himself on his Twitch channel. Uh, a guy by the name of Co, uh, uh, or Co Carnage is the name of his channel, just finished 2,000 consecutive days of streaming. Not consecutive <laughs> as in like right. continuous. Oh. But logged in every, day every day, at 8.30 in the morning, he logged on and he streamed for at least four to six hours, including days when he, like the birth of his child, days where like he, like at, like in the beginning where he like lost his job, but this guy over five years, this guy just reached this milestone and I think it's incredible. He's a great streamer to boot, which is good. Because you could be, like, one of these, like, weird, like, bizarre streamers. I know these won't mean anything to you, but, like, Ice Poseidon or, you know, there's this, you know, Andy Milonakis, the comedian kind of actor, is in that kind of realm with, like, those types of people who are kind of, like, shock comedians with them. Um.
1: I totally forgot he existed.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Um. But it's, it's not like that. He, like, is a genuine dude who just wants to, like, have a good time and make a good show for his audience. And he plays games. Co-Carnage, C-O-H-H, Carnage, in case you ever want to look him up. Hmm. But yeah. I think that's a really cool thing. I mean, it's super noteworthy. Uh, Kotaku ran a story about his, about his 2000th day that's really heartwarming, including a message, like, from his mods that kind of snuck in where he, he breaks down. And it's, it's just, I mean, it's his livelihood, both, I mean, he's... He's just so good at what he does that he can do it for 2000 days and at the 2000th day people are still watching. Mm. You know, there's the guy who did the entire hitless run through all the Soulsborne games, which is crazy, but like no one knew about it at you know, day 1999 for that guy. Mm-hmm. But for this guy, it's, you know, he's it's it's really neat. He's a really positive guy. He's got a partnership, <laughs> doesn't really swear, is always really nice to his viewers, so cool thing
1: nice that's it for me for breezy so what are we gonna see this this weekend the best podcast way we can do this everybody raise their hand if they want to see in game <laughs> <laughs> so i have
0: running through all possible future uh variations of and combinations of what we might do <laughs> we're in the end game
2: kicking rocks down old dusty roads small towns slow pokes long time ago kicking out records of all the
0: things that
2: I know
0: all the things